All right, let's pivot to our first guest, Audrey Anderson from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors. Audrey, happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. We're so used to talking on Saturday afternoons and uh, from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors. Why don't you just give people, perhaps we have some new listeners here on a Sunday afternoon, a little rundown of uh, what you do. So our firm, we represent adults and juveniles in criminal matters ranging from traffic to murder. And then we also represent parents, guardians, and others, foster parents that are, are involved or being investigated for child abuse through either DCFS or the court system. Important stuff, emotional cases, especially anytime kids are involved. Why do you do what you do, Audrey? It's just so confusing and complicated for parents or kids. Some of them just made a mistake, and mm-hmm. so you get charged with a crime, and it's overwhelming. So they need someone to guide them through the system. And for abuse and neglect, some minor incident that you may have had with someone with a child present can maybe eventually lead to the child being removed from your home. And so that's a very stressful process. So they need someone like me, our firm, to represent them, explain them the process, walk them through the court system, and to assure them that everything is going to be okay. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, we talk about a child being taken away from the home or whatever the situation is. Uh, it's important to have someone on your side in those cases who can explain what's going to happen because... I feel like a lot of people before maybe they enter a situation, maybe your kid's a great kid, they do something wrong, you think it's all going to work out. If you don't have someone advocating for you, it can be a very confusing process. And even even dumb mistakes that kids make have lifelong ramifications, right? Absolutely. It doesn't mean that because you're charged with a crime, adult or juvenile, that you're a bad person. You just made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And so that shouldn't have to haunt you, affect you for the rest of your life. Yeah, for sure. AndersonAA.com is the website. 630-877-5800 is the phone number. We'll talk a little bit uh, later on about uh, things that every parent and kid should know as the school year gets started again uh, after the the freedom of the summer is over and back into the classroom we go. Uh, But let's talk about the R. Kelly trial. Uh, And I have got to admit I think that we have all become a little nauseated by the R. Kelly story because it has lingered on for so long, uh, cases going back decades. And then we had a sentencing this past summer of a long time for R. Kelly. And then he's at trial again. I think there's honestly some people that are confused about what's happening here. Can you explain where we are in this saga with R. Kelly? Right. It is very confusing for people because if you go back, you can see, well, he was charged in Illinois, Cook County, back in the early 2000s, found not guilty at a trial. Then all of a sudden, he's being charged in New York for something. He was sentenced to 30 years, and now we're spending money to bring him here to Chicago again to try him for what people think are essentially the same thing. But it's different. And this is a federal trial happening here in Chicago, right? Correct. This and New York was, too. Correct. So the initial one in the early 2000s was state, so Cook County. Okay. Local. And then the New York one is federal. So that was for racketeering or RICO and sex trafficking. And then now it's for similar charges for what he initially had in Cook County for um, acts with minors and then lying to investigators in the early 2000s in attempting to disrupt or block their criminal investigation of him. If it's similar to the ones before, how does this not fall under the double jeopardy standard? Right. That's what everyone thinks. It's double jeopardy because they're using similar witnesses, similar evidence. Well, actually, double jeopardy doesn't apply when it's a state and federal because they're considered two separate sovereign entities. And so double jeopardy doesn't apply. So double jeopardy only applies when it's to state-related charges. So you can charge someone for the exact same act, both in a state court, like Cook County State Attorney's Office or Cook County Court System, and the federal system. 
That's interesting. Why doesn't that happen more often? Or does it happen more often than we think? I think that a lot of times it doesn't necessarily, they don't proceed with both. Okay. Just because the expense you figured you're already serving 30 years mm-hmm. um, once, so why bother to do a concurrent sentence in the other court system? Right. And some cases are only tried in state courts, right? You you have to violate a federal law to get federally charged, right? Correct. So there's a couple ways for it to be federal. You can violate a federal law such as bank robbery okay. or counterfeiting money that could just be federal. Or some are both, like uh, kidnapping or things like that. The reason it would be federal is because it occurs across multiple jurisdictions. Okay. So you're trafficking or bringing in someone from the state of Wisconsin to Illinois to commit some part of your crime. That would be federal because how do you pick? Is it the other state or Illinois that would prosecute him under the state law? So that's how you get federal jurisdiction when it involves multiple jurisdictions. And the federal government can also step in, I believe, when they believe hate crimes have been committed, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. Look at me looking like I know what I'm talking about here uh, and let's get legal. No, the reason why I asked that is just because for your, and this is the wrong way to put it, for a murder trial, let's say someone gets found not guilty of murder, that's a state crime. The federal government would not swoop in. They don't even have that power to swoop in and, and charge that person with murder, right? Not necessarily correct, but then they could swoop in and charge them for violating that person's constitutional rights, the victims, the deceased's constitutional rights. Really? So that's how they can be charged federally. Interesting. Okay, so back to the specifics of the R. Kelly trial. What is happening? What have you been seeing uh, that we should be paying attention to? It's definitely interesting to see the discord in court more now than it used to be 10, 20 years ago when he was initially charged and how the witnesses now have to explain why 20 years ago they lied under oath, why they lied to law enforcement, why they didn't come forward and how now it's just a different era Mm -hmm. when people now are encouraged to come forward when there's crimes that were committed against them or others that they know or to ensure that you don't help others cover up their crimes. And I have heard, read a little bit about how defense attorneys, I mean, it's got to be a delicate balance, want to challenge what a witness is saying now by saying that's not what you said 20 years ago. How do you balance that act as a defense attorney, not trying to seem like the meanest person on earth for saying, why are you saying this now? I mean, you're essentially trying to say they're lying right now without maybe appearing that way. That's hard to do, right? That's hard. In federal trials that we have, or even in state courts trials that we've done, it's very difficult for defense attorneys. You're walking a tight line, Mm -hmm. a a very narrow line, because you don't want jurors to hate you. You don't want to get the alleged victim crying on the stand or the deceased victim's mother, parent, sibling crying on the stand, and then the jury hate you, and you think, well, it's going to affect my client negatively. Mm -hmm. So you're just trying to do it without trying to be too antagonistic. It is very difficult. Right. And I think that's, but I think that the world has changed so much, I could see jurors you know, maybe if you said, hey, 20 years ago you said this, nowadays you said this other thing, someone might be like, well, they have a propensity to lie about something. I don't trust them about anything. But when it comes to things that are so delicate and so we know a lot more about assault, we know a lot more about um, uh, people being in relationships or in situations where they feel beholden to the person that is manipulating them into a circumstance – I think that juries are a lot more aware of it and can maybe, quote unquote, buy that they had lied about it then and are telling the truth now. Would you agree? Absolutely. We see that. I've seen that in trials now as opposed to 15 years ago, because back then, if you caught a witness in a lie as to they said something differently then than now, jurors would say, oh, you can't believe anything that they're saying. Whereas the jurors now I'm seeing, 
they say, mm, that's understandable. Mm-hmm. They felt pressured. They felt beholden. Maybe that person was giving them a job or paying for them or paying for someone they love. Like in R. Kelly's, the parents, they gave him a job. Mm-hmm. He They put them through school. They gave him vacations, paid for everything. So he felt like you had to or else you have nothing. So jurors nowadays are very much more open-minded about that and don't necessarily see that invalidates that witness's entire testimony. And let's also not forget that these witnesses, some of them, one in particular, was a child when this first came about, right? Right. How, whether it's this case or any other case, I'm sure you deal with children that have to be on the stand, whether it's a defendant on their, in their own case or, or witnesses to crimes, how hard is that to prepare kids for that really stressful uh, examination by two sides of, of, of attorneys? It is really hard. My experience from when I was a prosecutor and now dealing with children witnesses, they can be young, six, seven, eight. It's mm. hard for any adult to step up in front of complete strangers, especially if it's a jury trial. You have 12 jurors, two all to 14 strangers, mm-hmm. people in the courtroom, everyone's looking at you. And for adults to talk, think about a child who's been victimized or seen something and they have to tell complete strangers this. You try to just get a rapport with them, the child, and just have them focus on you and ask questions and tell them it's okay for them to tell the truth. Nothing is going to happen to them. And it's not their fault. Right. And I just, I feel like that also a jury can 100% buy that a child 20 years ago would not tell the truth in front of the stand and and shouldn't be judged for that. Right, exactly. Especially when there's some, any adult and one that was as powerful as in this situation, R. Kelly. But any person in a child's mind, if it's a parent or a neighbor to them, it is the most powerful figure. Mm-hmm. It's not only children in the past, now adults that are changing their testimony. It might be adults as well. I mean, that does raise some questions, does it not? I mean, I, I know we know a lot more than we knew before, uh, but in terms of a juror, they're supposed to you know, keep an even mind on these sorts of things. That can weigh on a juror, right? Oh, absolutely, because most of the times you don't have law enforcement professionals or attorneys that are jurors. They're just regular people. For this, this is their first foray into the criminal system. So us as attorneys, we see this every day, but the regular people don't see this. If you're a store clerk or an accountant and you're listening to this, this is something you've never heard of before. So it's very difficult for them probably to determine what is to believe now or what they said back then is the truth. All right. Well, uh, we will drop R. Kelly for now <laughs> because it's it's an important conversation to have. And I think it's eye opening. I think a lot of people have, uh, have have worn thin about it a little bit because they've just seen so much. But it is important, especially for these young women to have their day in court. I think that's an important thing. Do you think that's an important precedent to set? Absolutely, because now they finally have the strength and the voice and the support. Like They're not blacklisted. People don't print terrible things about them. They're saying that this is finally when they had the strength to come forward. Yeah, if nothing else, then that makes it worthwhile covering and at least acknowledging that uh, that things have changed, certainly. Okay, tell you what, we're going to take a break, and then afterwards, after the news, we're going to chat about things that parents and kids should know about the new school year, and we'll talk with more about uh, for, with Audrey Anderson from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors, AndersonAA.com. If you have any questions, text them on in, 312-981-7200. This is Let's Get Legal. It's powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. Normally, you'd hear Steve Dale during this time slot. It's John Hansen today, and I'm joined by Audrey Anderson from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors. We got a text from the 773, and we've talked about this before, but this may be our listeners' first time getting to know you, Audrey. Uh, the idea of 
How does an attorney deal with an alleged murderer? I know she said sometimes a, a kid makes a mistake. You do a lot of juvenile law. And for the most part, I think when you say a kid makes a mistake, you're talking about lesser things than that, of course. Murder is a very serious thing. But as someone who used to work in the prosecutor's office and now you do defense stuff, how do you, quote unquote, work with a murderer? Right. It's very difficult, especially if you know that person's confessed to it and actually have done it. Or you can see for some reason it was a shooting at a gas station. So it's on video. How do you get around that? Right. So you have to just realize, regardless of what the offense is, murder or anything, they are entitled to the defense. And the best part about one of the best things about the United States is it's you're not guilty until right you're found guilty. Mm-hmm. That's the presumption of innocence. So our job as defense attorneys, my job is when people ask me and they ask all the time, mm-hmm. is that we have to make sure the system works, that the prosecutors, law enforcement, the courts, juries do the system right. And so we're walking the person through it, making sure the process is correct. Because even if that person is guilty of that crime, you want to uphold the pillars of what the defense system is so that when the person who's innocent of that crime has the opportunity to have as strong a defense as possible to be found not guilty. I guess that's one way of looking at it. Absolutely. So you just have to try to get past and think past the act itself that it took a life, but to just make sure the system is right for him and no corners are cut or her. Yeah, for sure. All right. So uh, we're going from the summer months back to the back to school months. And I asked during the break if summer you get a lull in juvenile cases, but you don't. Is it because the kids have a little more free reign in the summer and they do dumb things? And now that they go back to school, they're like, oh, wait, these consequences carry over to the school year, too. Exactly. And parents, unless you're a teacher or some job that you have lesser hours from home, parents are still out there working. And so your teenager is still out there during the summertime with even less supervision. When it's the school year, you know that they're at school being watched by teachers, not getting into trouble or having time alone with other students. So, yes, students during the summertime really have a lot of flexibility and freedom. Do they find out when school starts again that maybe something they got charged with or got caught with that they didn't think the school would know about, the school does know about, and that impacts their academic or their extracurricular activities? Very true, because a lot of most schools have an honor code, even if it's a private school or public school, you have an honor code. So if you get picked up or charged with or adjudicated delinquent minor on a crime over the summer, your school may find out. So you have consequences. That sporting event that you wish to participate in, you wanted to go to something, participate in a club, you can get suspended from that as a consequence at school. When did someone call you? Is it when they go back to the school and they find out they might be expelled because of something that they do? Or because like if they're going to be like suspended from the football team, I, I don't know. Is there anything you can do about that? Like walk us through where someone might need a, a might need you on their de- defense side. Right. So as soon as someone finds out that their student, their child is going to be suspended for something soon that very day, you need to reach out to an attorney because there are time restrictions. Things move fast. You only have a certain amount of time to request an appeal and have a hearing before an arbitrator or an intermediator to present it to the school board. So you should not delay because if you delay in reaching out to us or a law firm, it's too late. So I've had that happen. And I said, sorry, you've passed the timeline where you can appeal a suspension. I'm pretty naive, though. So let's say I think I'm a parent and I, I don't have any kids yet. But if I did, I would say, well, that's between the school and the kid. What does that have to do with a lawyer? Right. What is I mean, we're not in the court of law here. We're in the school system. Are those one and of the same? Do they work in conjunction or does even school functions or school disciplinary back and forths 
involve representation too. Right. It involves representation because the school has, they have their own attorneys that are advising the school board, the school itself, the principals, vice principals, deans of what to do and how to react and act in a situation. So why shouldn't a kid and his parents or her parents have an attorney who is knowledgeable about the law represent them? I get that question all the time with parents calling and saying, it's not really a big deal, is it? Yes. You don't know how the system works, but the school board or that specific school, who knows how many times they've done the process. They know their handbook backward and forward. This is your first time. You need someone who can help and explain it to you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I wanted to ask, what are some things that you would advise to parents and students specifically going back to school, things that kids get in trouble for in the classroom that maybe a parent talking to their kid would be a good thing to talk about before the school year starts? So there's a lot of things. In fact, I was just talking to one of my teenage clients just recently from the most benign. Some schools now have where you have to drop your phone like in a little basket before Mm -hmm. class and pick it up after class. You can't be texting using electronics. So that's something to tell your students about, not to have them throw a fit or a tantrum because they're so connected to their phones, especially because they've been using it 24-7 pretty much all summer. Now during class, they have to put it in a bin or can't use it. And if they get caught, they can get suspended or get detentions. Okay. That impacts them, especially if you're a junior or senior and you're looking for scholarships or you're applying to universities. Another thing to obviously be careful of, those summer romances, once you go back to school, you have to really be careful of who your child is hanging out with or having a romantic relationship with. Because if your student, your child just turned 18 and he and she are a senior and they've been dating a sophomore or a person who was a freshman now a sophomore... If it starts to get too physical, that's a crime. And your child can be charged as an adult if they're 18. I'm glad you brought that up because this is something that I, 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 have, I obviously know. That the, so the age of consent, explain that. What is the age of consent here in Illinois? So people always think it's like 16 or 17. Right. Correct. But that doesn't mean a 16 or 17-year-old can consent to a, an adult relationship okay. or a physical relationship with an adult. So adults cannot have a, a relationship with a minor. Even if the minor, so it's 17 and under, who consents? I can think of so many of my friends when we were in high school, a senior dating a junior. Or I didn't turn 18 until I was out of school, until after I graduated. So I can think of seniors who were dating other seniors that was 18 and 17. Are you telling me that if if someone raised a red flag on that, that that child, that, that adult, excuse me, that 18-year-old can be prosecuted as a sex offender? It, it could. There's always that potential, yes. So if you were dating someone, you were a senior and they were a freshman, and now you're a freshman in college and your partner is a sophomore in high school, your relationship is completely different now that you're 18 and they're only 15 or 14. I'm like doing the math of my parents who are high school sweethearts. and I'm <laughs> Well, the, the, no statute of limitations there, I hope. I mean, they're happily married. I should say that. Okay, this kind of blows my mind. I don't. I think a lot of people don't know this. Because I always thought that it was okay if uh, he or she was 17 and and the uh, and their partner was 18 or maybe 19 in college, but it was within a three year gap or something. I thought there was like a a gap there where it was where it was a okay by the law. No, not necessarily. That just deals more with penalties and what they specifically can be charged with. But that is a misconception, unfortunately. Not that there's prosecutors looking to find right. an 18 and a 17 year old. But but let's say parents of maybe the 17 or 16-year-old daughter who don't like the guy she's going around with, can they 
get someone to can they get a, can they call the police on this? Absolutely, I've had that happen. I've represented the the other end, unfortunately, with the student that gets charged. Yes, so they have a fourteen year old freshman daughter, and they find out the parents find out they see something on her phone, her computer, laptop, electronics of a intimate relationship with the senior who's eighteen. That's problems. Yes. Or pictures taken, if even if the the boyfriend is seventeen and mm-hmm. they were sending pictures. Yes, mm-hmm. the seventeen year old. I've represented the seventeen year old who's been charged with possession of child pornography of his freshman girlfriend. Right, and and by no, no means am I at all trying to defend any sort of adult child relationship. I'm just talking about real things that happened in high schools all across the country here in Illinois. And I'm not saying that, I'm not even trying to say that it should or shouldn't be the case because there's a big difference between being 18 and 14. There is a huge difference emotionally and what you're able to do. But I just know that that, that 17 and 18-year-old thing, that's very interesting. So what is your advice? I mean, would you tell parents to tell their kids to say, or at least advise them, you're not, you don't get to tell parents what to do. But you know what I mean? Like, hey, if you're 18 years old, you need to cut it off with anyone that's under the age of 18, even if she's your girlfriend of a couple of years. Absolutely, because people think it has to be something more intimate, but it doesn't necessarily have to be extremely intimate for it to be a charge offense. Touching things like that could be a problem. So really, you do have to advise your 18-year-old children to not have that type of relationship with anyone younger than that they are. Okay. Any other areas? I know that we talk about this, we talk about this fairly often, and it's this really tug and pull with uh with school uh schools trying to you know enforce rules and the safety of the students and kids that post things on social media that can be perceived as threats i imagine that's something that you would advise all parents to talk to their kids about the language that they use in the classrooms the language that they use on social media just to be really careful of that absolutely because unfortunately when parents are seeing this, they they see it from their child's perspective. They know their child the best, that they're just kidding, joking around with friends. That's just something playful. When we say this, we mean like, oh man, I'm so mad at this person. I'm going to do something that they'll they'll be upset about. Correct. Or I wish something happened to teacher. Why? Mm -hmm. Because they have a tough class. Or Mm -hmm. I'm not ready for a test tomorrow. I just wish the school would blow up or right. a bomb or something like that. So, you know, the kids just letting off steam. They're an excellent student. They're AP students. I mean, I have clients, this has happened to them, mm-hmm. but the teachers, school districts, prosecutors, they only look at it in a, in a vacuum, this isolated one comment, and they take it to such extremes because they're so concerned that something could happen. Right. And that not wrongfully so either. It's, it's like one of those sides where I, I, I get where the schools are coming from, but then there are real ramifications for a student. Because, I mean, we, I'm sure you've seen autom- – because, I mean, I imagine anytime you get to that threat area, those sort of become like automatic punishments, right? Correct. So you get suspended for a couple of days, so the parents think, oh, it's no big deal. It is. Rush to an attorney. Come to me immediately, which thankfully a lot of parents do, because that's just code for – they're suspending you temporarily until they have this hearing with or without the parent and the students where they're going to be expelled from the school. And if you're in AP honors classes, which I've represented students for that, you get sent to a different alternative school. That's going to affect your complete future, what university you get to and what you're labeled, where you go. And that affects your career and job and life. So it makes a huge difference. Man, it sounds stressful to be a parent. Am I sure I want to be <laughs> It's stressful it's, for kids nowadays yeah. too, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, this is a different world than we grew up in, without a doubt. Uh, and I'm not passing judgment whether that's a good or bad thing. I'm just, it is a, we put a lot of attention on what kids are doing these days in some ways that is great and important to do. 
uh, in other ways that could be an issue. Anyways, let's take a break. Let's talk, talk, chat a little bit more. Oh, how do you want people to reach you? Best place to go to the website to start things off? Definitely the website. We have a chat feature, so definitely chat us through our website. AndersonAA.com, or you can call them 630-877-5800. Our number is 312-981-7200. Be happy to take some of your questions about any of these issues if you'd like. 312-981-7200. We'll try and answer them next with Audrey Anderson from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors here on Let's Get Legal on WGN. 720 WGN. This is Let's Get Legal. We're powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. Continuing our chat with Audrey Anderson of Anderson Attorneys and Advisors. We also have a question of the day today, and uh, we do this every week. While not formalized until the 1930s, this has roots going back to 1912, though it was completely overhauled in 1996 to keep up with the times. Hmm. Let's go to Ted. Ted, you've been holding for a bit. I wanted to get you in here. Ted, what's your guess? Hi, John. Uh, the tax codes. The tax codes. And uh, I know the IRS is uh, coming in the news again with uh, new agents being hired. But, Ted, that's just not the answer to today's question of the day. I'm sorry. All right. Well, thank you. Hey, have a great day. 312-981-7200 if you've got a guess. Audrey, you don't get to guess, though, unfortunately. No, that's too bad. Yeah. Do you think you know it? No, I do not okay. know it at all. <laughs> I'm desperate for someone to call in with the answer I so know. I can know it, too. I never tell the guests, either. I, no, you I, don't. I make you guys wait. Mm-hmm. You do. Uh, we're talking about tips. Uh, Audrey Anderson, if you're just joining us, uh, does a lot of juvenile defense work. Uh, we're prim- we're, uh, we should mention, where primarily do you do most of your work? You're in the western suburbs you're based out of, right? We are. So we do a lot of DuPage counties, um, Cook. Kendall, Kane, Will. Give, them, give you guys a call and you'll... And if, and if you're out of range, at least maybe you'll be able to help someone find someone else. Absolutely. AndersonAA.com is where you get started. All right. We were talking during the break about uh, the difficulties of parenting and a lot of it centers around social media and the phone. And that probably contributes to what percentage of problems that kids get into, would you guess? 80% at least, probably, <laughs> unfortunately. And that's, that's why things are just so much different than they were before. So... What's that balance like for what, what should parents tell their kids to be wary of, to be worried of, to, to avoid doing something that really could mess up their future? The problem with social media is it's always out there. Mm-hmm. So you, it's not like words where you're just talking to someone. Yes, words hurt. They'll be in that person's memory forever. But with social media, it is always going to be out there. So anything you type just in fun, you can't ever truly take back. Mm-hmm. I think there's obvious lessons about photos you take and photos you share and those are important ones of course to teach but it's even things like bullying or making fun of other kids even if you think it's innocuous or even if it is like and they're in on the joke there's dangers there of what parents and and administrators may interpret right exactly because it could be misconstrued i've had a case where it wasn't the even the the alleged victim child who was bullied, it was someone else that saw something and then they reported it to the school. And that's how my client got into trouble. So it wasn't the person who even took it personally. They didn't see that there was anything. It was just supposed to be in fun, but other students around it thought it was bad and reported it. All right. 773 actually texted in. I think this is a uh, world you work in. Do you do anything with expungement of records? We do a lot of that. Okay. And who's eligible for an expungement of their record? So it depends on what the charge is, but most of the misdemeanor charges, except domestic batteries and DUIs, can be expunged. Except those two. Except. Okay. So not domestic batteries, not DUIs, but most misdemeanors can be expunged if you've received court supervision. So they can be expunged if you were an adult when you committed the crime or as a juvenile? 
Both. Okay. But for adults, yes. So for juveniles, a lot of things may automatically get expunged depending on the sentence. But for adults, that's not the case. So if you received court supervision 10 years ago and you figured on that retail theft from Walgreens or wherever, Mm -hmm. we'll just go away, it doesn't. It's always going to be there no matter what. And I imagine during this time, I mean, right now we have a lot of jobs still open. The economy is still doing great on the job front. But as that world changes, allegedly that's going to be happening soon where maybe people are looking for new jobs. Do you anticipate an uptick in people calling you saying, hey, I applied for this job. I had no idea that they would find this and they did. Exactly. I've had that happen actually several times just this past week. They initially had a job out of college thinking, oh, that one isolated incident, that theft or that obstructing, they gave a fake name to an officer, had a fake ID, wouldn't catch up with them. They had the first job. It was not a problem. Then they got promoted and then laid off or they wanted to make a lateral move to a different company. And a background check, it came up and they got denied and they didn't see what's What's the problem? They had forgotten about it, thinking it went away. It doesn't go away. So those you have to petition, have an attorney to file the paperwork properly. There's fees and have the hearing before the judge to get it removed. So expunged is the reports, everything's destroyed. So it's as if it never existed. Okay. You mentioned fake IDs there. This is the start of a lot of kids' college experiences. Is that something for parents to, hey, just a little nudge to their child? Fake IDs may be a clever way to get you in the bar uh, or to get you a drink earlier, but they have big ramifications. They do. Those are Having a fake ID, using a fake or fraudulent, those are felonies. So if you're just fresh out of high school and you're having this, you can get charged with a felony without even having to really, what you think is commit a crime. It's like a victimless victimless crime. Mm -hmm. Who's getting hurt? Just the one holding the card. But it's you definitely that gets victimized. You get charged with the felony if there's a police officer there or someone gets called and then you get settled with a felony conviction and you haven't even started your life yet yeah that's no good all right we could go down this hole for a long time audrey anderson there are things that kids do that are dumb that make mistakes and you are here to help them at least know that they have a good defense right absolutely it's not hopeless we can try to fix it all right 630-877-5800 or andersonaa.com audrey it's always great to chat with you thanks for stopping by thanks for having me it was great